Greetings and welcome back to another ongoing series of Shur and Dafyomi. My name is Yitzchak and Shalom. We're now in Masachek Tuvot Samach Chet Amur Aleph. About to take a look at what is, in some divisions, uh, in the way that we've marked it on the page, Mishnah Vav, in this, the sixth parak. Yitomashi Siata Ima Oachehamidaata. So you have an orphan girl who was married off. Uh, as a minor, by her mother or her brothers, that's what we call Kiddush Emiun, uh, even if she was agreeable to it, and they gave her a dowry of a particular amount, whatever it is, she may, when she becomes adult, in effect, sue them for what the amount that she really should have gotten, um, which is one-tenth of the estate. Rabbi Yudah says that uh, if you marry off one daughter and give a certain amount, then you have to give the same amount to each daughter that you marry off. So as a person's wealth goes up or goes down, we estimate based on his current worth, and that's what we give, one-tenth of the estate or perhaps a different percentage based on what he gave in the past, and we'll see that develop in the Gemara. Amar Shmuel, the Parnassah Shamin Ba'av. When it comes to Parnassah, which is the uh, dowry, uh, we estimate it by the father's value. Let's see what that means, because so far that seems to be exactly what we've been saying. Uh, and we have a brighter that says that the daughters are fed. This is daughters, orphan daughters are fed and are given a dowry from their father's estate. We don't say if father was around, this is what he would have given. We estimate the value now and give her. Isn't that referring to the dowry? That's feeding her, taking care of her, but not the dowry. The dowry, we follow Shmuel, which would be we go back to what the father gave when he was alive. Ha, Nizon Parnasot Tani, but our Brita says both Nizonot and Mit Parnasot. Nizonot is their own being fed, and Parnasot is dowry. My love, Parnasot, Parnasot, isn't referring to both of them. Lo, Idi, Idi, Parnasot, they're both referring to taking care of her. Velokasha, Ha, Bachila, Ushtia, Nizonot is feeding and drinking. And Mit Parnasot is referring to giving her clothes, but not the dowry. All right, let's test Shmuel against the Mishnah. Sometimes a person was poor and became rich, or vice versa. We give her, we estimate based on the value now. My ani my ashir. What does it mean? If you think it means really wealth. Does that you do you think the Tanakama would disagree and say even if he was wealthy and became poor, he still has to give the same amount? He doesn't have the, he doesn't have it. Ani must be attitudes, meaning that he was uh, originally uh, miserly and now he's more generous, or vice versa. We estimate the value of what he has and give her. In other words, we don't go based on father's past behavior, but rather we go based on the current worth and our uh, objective assessment. This is against Shmuel. So the answer is Huda Mark Rabbi Yehuda. Shmuel was following Rabbi Yehuda in our Mishnah. 
who says we do follow what the father gave him last time. So why didn't Shmuel just say The answer is I would think that's only true in the case that Rabbi Yehuda explicitly mentioned, which is when father already married her off to Galidata. He actually demonstrated his real approach by giving her that amount. But if he didn't marry her off, I would think we do not have anything to go on. So Shmuel is teaching us that Rabbi Yehuda's reason, he's not disagreeing with Rabbi Yehuda or even extending him, he's teaching that Rabbi Yehuda's reason is that we go based on what we assess about the father, whether or not he actually married her off based on the way the father talked, his attitude, etc. So why did the Mishnah pick a case of Hesiyah? Of how already having married her off to show you how far the Rabbanan will go. Even though the father already married off a daughter and demonstrated what he really believed to be the proper amount to give, when it comes to the second daughter, we do not use that as a measuring stick. So Rava told his father-in-law, he said, "In in uh, we teach in your name that halacha is Rabbi Yehuda." So he said, uh, I, I wish you would always say such good things in my name. But since when did Rava rule that way? Rebbe said that when a daughter is getting fed by the brothers, in other words, she's an orphan, and she get, goes to get married, she gets one-tenth of the estate. We'll go into details about that in a few minutes. And Rebbe said, we rule that way, which means that we have a set amount, one-tenth, and we don't rule like Rebbe Yudah, which is to just simply use what Father did last time, or estimate Father's intent. So the answer is Lokasha, Hanta Amidne, Hadlo Amidne. If we had anything to go on on the father, then we would use it. And that's where he says Halachak Rabbi Yehuda. But if not, then we use the base of one tenth like Rebbe. Rebbe himself, who said you get one tenth, in a particular case, ordered that a girl be given one twelfth. Kashan Adadi, so which is it? Do we have a contradiction? It must be that the way we would distinguish is in a case where he had already had a vehicle for estimation. In other words, he had already either married a daughter off or said what he, what he believed. Uh, then we would give that amount, in this case the one twelfth. If not, then the fallback, the default is, uh, is one tenth. Okay, Gufa Amar Rebbe. Mention we go back to this. Amar the Rebbe. So they challenge Rebbe. The a guy has ten daughters and a son and dies. If doesn't die either way, the ten daughters are each going to get one tenth of the estate. That's the whole estate, and then the son gets nothing, which is backwards in the area of Yerusha. So Marlehan Rebbe said, you misunderstood me. The first one gets one-tenth. Shniyab Mashishira. The next one gets one-tenth of what's left. So Shif Mashishira, etc. And then they divide what they got equally between them. So none of them end up getting one-tenth of the estate, but that's how they build up the dowry fund. So, why should they redivide it? After all, each one is taking what she, what, you know, what is getting married, who's uh, 18, 20 years old. 
The other one's five years old. Why should she have a chelak? If they all get married at the same time, then then they do this piece and redivide. So, but either way, the second daughter is only going to get one tenth of what's left. So that means that there still is significant uh, remains of the estate for the son to inherit. The supports of Matna. If they all get married at the same time, they get one tenth. One tenth, that makes no sense. They take the tenth as one. In other words, this redivide notion. Okay, Whether they reached age of adulthood before they got married, or they got married first, they lose their rights to support from the estate, but not their rights to claim a dowry. This is when the father died. They lost both. So what should they? What do they do in that case? These girls will go. If the girl's an orphan, she will typically go and make sure to find herself a husband before she reaches the age of Bagrut, so she'll be able to get the uh, parnasa from the estate. Amarav Nachman, so Nachman relates, Amar Lehuna, so Rav Huna told him, Hilchatak Rebbe, we rule like Rebbe, that the dowry is not out, therefore these girls don't have to scrounge around to find a husband before they reach age. Eitivei Rav Rav Nachman, so Rav challenged Rav Nachman, uh, in ruling like Rebbe, Yitomah Shisiata Imoachemidata, our Mishnah, Vachatva Meaumachavashim Zuzi, Cholashtagdila, Utsimi Adam, Asheridlantenla. Tama Diktana, the only reason that she can reclaim more is because she was married off as a Ktana. Hagdola Vitra, if she was older, then she waived her rights and she can't reclaim more. To Lokasha Had Machai Had Lamachai. So he said, You're right. If she doesn't protest, there is nothing to claim, but if she protests, then she can claim. Otherwise, we'd have a problem with the Rebbe himself. Rebbe famously said, we've seen this already three times in the last Amud, that if a girl is supported by the family, by the brothers, she gets one-tenth of the estate. He's on it ancient, he's on it low, only if she's being supported. If she protests, then she gets to have a reclaim. But if not, then she was mevater. She waived her rights. You were quoted as saying, If she just becomes older, she hasn't married yet, she doesn't have to protest at this point. She can still, later on when she gets married, claim her due. Or if she gets married earlier, she doesn't have to protest. But if she's already a Bulgarian and has, is married, then she has to protest what she got earlier in order to have a later claim. So since when did Rava say that? Remember Rava challenged Nachman from the case of the Yitomah. And we said, that's only if she doesn't protest. And she waived it. So if she's still being fed by them, so she didn't protest. Um, uh, then she she um, uh, she didn't waive it. But if she was uh, um, and she's a, she, she's being fed by them, so so therefore she doesn't want to protest, and therefore she still has rights to later. If she's not being fed by them, there was no reason for her not to protest. If she didn't protest, she waived it. 
So Rabbi said this halacha, that parnasah is not like tna'ek tuba, which you saw in the fourth parak, all of the add-ons onto the tuba. So what did this this statement mean? If it means that she can seize her dowry from mishubadim, but not unlike tonight tuba. So my commandment, what's that teaching? We see this every day in court that we will seize from mishubadim to give her a dowry, but not for support. So there's nothing not nothing being taught there. If it's to teach me that unlike tonight tuba, you could collect parnasa dowry from chattel. So the Rebbe That's just not true because according to Rebbe, you could collect from even from metaltalin for either one. That's karka. That's metaltalin. You can seize in order to feed the woman and her and her daughters, and certainly for for dowry, Rebbe. So what did Rebbe mean? As per the following Brayta, a man says, "I do not want my daughters to be fed from the estate." We don't listen. But if he says, "I don't want them to get a dowry from there," why? Dowry does not have. The same rule as tonight tuba, and here it's the opposite. Here, panasa actually takes a beating. In that tonight tuba, one of the tonight tuba is to take care of this woman who you're marrying, her children, and uh, and therefore you don't have a right to say I don't want them to be fed from the estate, but you do have a right to say I'm not going to give a dowry from the estate. Okay, talale rav lerebi beni chiti. So now, Rav sent a letter to Rebbe, um, uh, after Rav had come back to, evidently, to Bavel, sent a letter to Rebbe, and between the lines he wrote this question. What happens if the brothers take the estate and they mashabit it, they sell it, they, uh, they are mamashkin it, in some way it becomes under lean to somebody else, and now the girl wants to get married? Havayati Rabbi Chia Kamei. Rabbi Chia was sitting in front of Rabbi when he got the letter. Amar le machru omishkenu. He said, what did Rav mean? Did he mean that they sold the property or they gave it as a pledge? So Amar le ma'inaf kamina. So Rabbi turned to Rabbi Chia and said, what's the difference? And the Abed machru ben mishkenu motzin the fanasami motzin the mazonot. Whether or not it was a sale or just a lien or pledge, you do extract it for dowry and not for mazonot. So why did Rav write it that way? The answer is Rav imachru kamibayle. If he wanted to know about a case of sale, he should have asked that. If he was asking about a pledge, he should have said that. The answer is Rav tavaykumbayle. He wanted to ask both. If I wrote if the, a question about sale. So if he said yes, we seize it. So certainly I'll know that in a case of a pledge, we'll we'll extract it. But if he says in the case of a sale, if his response to my question about a sale is we do not extract it, I still have a question about mashkon, which is of course less the property of the uh, of the current holder. So, and then vice versa. If I wrote Mishkanu, if he said we don't seize it, so certainly in the case of a sale we won't. If he sends me a message that we do extract it, then I'll have to ask the question about Machru. 
So, I'll just write Shibdu as a par of statement, as a multivocal statement. It means both. And therefore, I'll get an answer. And the answer that he got was that regardless of how the Shibud happens, we will seize it for Panasab and not from his own note. Now, Rabbi Yochanan Amar, we don't seize it from either, for either purpose. Rabbi Yochanan not hear Rabbi's ruling. Had he heard it, he would have accepted it. Maybe he heard it and rejected it. If a fellow died and left two daughters and a son, and the first daughter went ahead and got married and seized one-tenth of the property, and then before the second one got married or seized her property for the, for the dowry, the son died. So now there's just two daughters to inherit. The second daughter has given up her claim on Isur Nechassim because she now holds 50% of the property. There's even a bigger statement. Which is Rebbe's statement. Why would you think that the second one was Vater? She should get her 10% before the cut and then divide the rest into 50%. But if Rabbi Yochanan had not heard Rabbi, then he should have said, who's the author of that statement? It must be that Rabbi Yochanan had heard Rabbi and rejected it. Perhaps Rabbi Yochanan never heard Rabbi's brightah. Had he heard it, he would have accepted it. But he wouldn't apply it here, because in this case, the girl gets a lot more anyway. So maybe we don't seize it, because as it is, she's getting 50% of the whole estate. So then would you say that if, let's say, the girl, before she was going to get married, found a huge metziah, she wouldn't be able to claim her one-tenth of the estate because she got more anyways? Uh, We don't say that. What I mean is she got a lot more of the same money, a bigger cut of the same money, 50% as opposed to 10%, so she was mevater on the 10%. But your reshetavye, a daughter, when she comes to claim her parnasah, has a din of a an heir. Rav Asher the Meimar, ilu by lisaluke bezuze achnamdo lamatzi the saluke. That means if the brothers want to pay her off and say, here, here's money, and uh, and you don't have a claim on the estate, they could do so. Uh, they, they wouldn't be able to do so because she's she has a claim as an heir. Amar leina, Meimar said, yes, they can't. If they want to say to her, okay, here's one piece of the land of the estate, that's yours, and get out, they can't do it? I never said, yeah, I believe that they can't. Ravashi disagrees with Amemar and says, no, she is a Balat Chov, she's a creditor on the estate, a creditor against the brothers. The Afamemer Hadabe, Amemer, by the way, ended up acceding that point. The Amar of Hanuma Braid of Nechumi, Have Kaimna Kame de Amemer. I was once sitting in front of Amemer. Vatoi Haiita Tala Kame. A particular woman came before Amemer. The Havit Kabaya Isu Nechasim. She was trying to seize one tenth of the property for marriage. Vachazite Ledate, and Amemer sensed that the brother, the boy, the Saluke Bezuze, have a solid life. He was able to, he would have bought her out. They heard the brother saying, If we had money, we would have paid you off. And I remember didn't say anything to them like, 
it wouldn't help, you can't do it. And Amemer himself had said they could not be Masalik Pazuze. So therefore Amemer must have changed his mind and said, you're right, she's only a creditor. She's a creditor against whom? Father, dead father, or the living brothers? So the Mainaf Kamina was the difference as follows. If she's a Balachov of the father, of the brother, sorry, then the brothers are alive. So she can collect Benonit like any other Balachov, the average type uh, standard of land. And she doesn't need a Shvua. Balachov doesn't need a Shvua. And Vizibor Bishwa, but if she's seizing from the father, then she's essentially seizing from Yatomim, her brothers, and she also has to have a Shua. So she only gets Ziborit and a Shua. Double whammy. So which is it? My. Toshma, we have a story. Dravina Agbe Livrate Ashi. Ravashi died, and he seized for Ravashi's daughter, Mimarbrai Ravashi, from the brother. Bainunit Vishlobishwa. In other words, she was a Balatchov of the brothers. And therefore, the living brother had to give up Benonit and without a shvua. But then when one of the brothers died and she seized from him, he seized from him Zibur Bishvua, because that was certainly uh, seizing from Yatomim, because even if she's a Balachov of the brothers, this is now from the nephews. Shalachov Nechem Reidu Rav Yosef Ram Ravuna Zutam in Hardei sent a message. Ki Atia Ha Itatal Kamach when a particular woman comes to you. This is a separate case. Agba Yisur Nechosim Afilu Meitz Terubla. You could uh, you seize uh, one tenth of Nechosim, uh, even from the uh, from the area where they have the mill out in the yard. He said we used to uh, we would seize uh, the property. We would take it even from rental income on land. The question is what the land was. We showed him divided how to understand uh, what the nature of this rental income, why that's considered karka, uh, for uh, paying, off, paying off the chov of the parnasat. Okay, Shalach of Rav Huna. He sent the message to Rav Huna. Huna chavrin shlam. He sent it to him without the honorific. Huna or chaver, shalom. When this woman comes to you, this is the letter he sent. Make sure to seize a tenth of the property for her. Here's a letter of approbation. Rav Sheshit was in front of Rav Huna. So Rav Huna told Rav Sheshit, go tell him to Rav Anan, and you'll be in Cherem if you don't say it exactly this way. Anan, Anan. He said, call him like this. Shall I seize it from Karka or from Metaltalin? Second question, who sits in the pub in front? We'll see what that means. So Rav Sheshit came to him. So Rav Sheshit came to him. So he said, you are a master, and Huna is the master of the master, and, all, and the person being Cherem, who, who doesn't say it correctly, and if it weren't for that, I wouldn't have said the following. Was he excused himself before he addressed Rav Anan by the words Anan Anan, but he said, I have to say it because I'll be the Cherem, because Rav Huna, my Rebbe, and your Rebbe, told me to say it exactly this way, I'll be the Cherem. So I see that Ravuna is disgracing me. He's sending a message that it has to be said exactly anan In the meantime, he's asked me a question. I don't know what it means because I don't know what Beit Marzeach is. Amale Amali Easy 
Gufa de Uvda Heche Havis. So Rukva said, tell me exactly what happened, all the details. He tells him the story. So he said, basically, that he, that he admitted that he sent a letter to Rav Huna that was addressed Huna. You don't even know what a Beit Marzeach is, and you're sending it to Ravuna as if he's your buddy, Huna Chavrin? Ravuna was right for disgracing you. My Marzecha, what is Marzecha? Avel. Beit Marzeach, etc. And the Pasuk in Yumiahu, right, don't go into a place of mourning. So it's evidently a place of mourning. All right. So how do we know that the Avel sits at the head of the table? So I will sit at the head. So Yinachem sounds like he's the one who comforts others. He's the one being comforted. It's like Yinachem. Read it as Yinachem will be comforted. From the Pasuk, <coughs> In um, in Amos, right? So the one who is uh, Mar, what does it mean? Uh, Mar v'zach v'sasar l'shruchim. The one who's uh, embittered becomes sort of the prince. So he sits at the head. Okay, Amarava Hilchata. So again, Marzeach being used as Beit Evel. Hilchata mimekarki v'lomatalti. So now summing up the sugya, Rava says the halachas that we see is only from karka. Ben was only ben the ktuba ben the parnasah for any of these things, whether support for the money of the ktuba itself, which has been mentioned, not been mentioned in the sugya, and for parnasah the dowry. Okay, we'll pick it up with the final podcast in the short parak in the next uh, podcast. Meantime, everybody should have a wonderful day.